millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome to this week's edition of Inside Business. I'm Tom Lyons. The Irish Times Intertrade Ireland Innovation Awards 2014 seeks to showcase and reward Irish firms who are at the cutting edge of making groundbreaking products or supplying innovative new services. In a moment, Inside Business's producer Sinead O'Shea is going to bring you a special report on some of this year's 18 finalists in categories as diverse as agri-food to manufacturing. But first, we're joined by one of this year's judges, Dr. Chris Horn, founder of Software Great, Iona Technologies, and a regular columnist with the Irish Times. Chris, uh, you spent the day with this year's finalists. Uh, can you tell me about some of the companies you've been talking with and meeting with today? Well, it was a really interesting day, Tom. We had six different categories, and within each category, three companies, so 18 different companies in all. But we had things as varied as an entirely new scheme for uh, orchestrating the way in which commercial aircraft land at an airport, which is a really innovative way, and it's been rolled out successfully in Ireland and has opportunities to go to major airports in the world, to dealing with wastewater treatment and new processes for oxygenizing water, to moving on to how uh, um, food is best or feed is best dispensed to cattle and optimizing that on an uh, across multiple farms with uh, expertise to producing uh, advertising videos allowing small companies small and medium enterprises to very quickly and very efficiently produce their own videos to demonstrate what they want in a very low cost way those videos can then be used for advertising there was an enormous variety of companies and frankly very difficult in some cases to choose between them. We had some very, very tight finishes. In one or two cases, uh, I was asked to use my casting vote as chairman of the judges to actually select one company ahead of another. So it was some very, very tight marking. 
And Chris, you know, you took Iona from small beginnings onto the stock exchange. When you when you're meeting these firms, do you think that that there's any of them that that could go that far? That could could oh, that could achieve a flotation? Absolutely, no, no, quite definitely. There are a number of companies there that potentially have the opportunity to be very, very large companies indeed if they can follow through. We're particularly excited by some of the companies that really do have a global market opportunity. They they they've proven that their idea works in the relatively small market. Market, perhaps of Ireland and perhaps United Kingdom, but the global opportunity to continental Europe, to the Americas, to Asia can be obviously is where they need to get to. And certainly some of the teams have that ambition to take their idea now that it's proven and bring it to a global uh, audience. So absolutely, some of the companies we saw today really do have the opportunity if they continue to execute well and can scale the company to become uh, well-known global brands with the stock market listing. And you've literally spent hours with these companies today. Uh, what were the big difficulties or the challenges that they were saying that there that there is for Irish companies who are trying to take off at the moment? Uh, well, I, we we spent a long time uh, with the companies. We we you know each one of the companies gave us a written submission, which we'd been through. Then each of the companies gave us a, a verbal presentation, and then each of the question each of the companies had a Q and A, a question and answer session. And uh, I think some of the issues that at least some of the companies are, are, are facing, in some, some cases it's raising finance, raising perhaps sufficient finance for their ambitions. In other cases, it's perhaps rounding out the management team. There's a really good core founding team, but perhaps the founding team, although they have a very strong understanding of the business sector and the, the technology that they've used, perhaps they need rounding out on financial management or on their channel management, working up with distribution partners or indeed with direct sales. So looking uh, to see, we have a core team now, but can we find the right people to bring in around that core team who would have the right chemistry with the founders and can work alongside the existing team? So those are probably some of the challenges that, that some of the companies at least are facing. And just finally, Chris, with the Innovation Awards 2015, uh, for any entrepreneurs who are listening, uh, when is that all going to kick off again and how can people find out more? Well, it's, it's uh, publicised quite extensively, obviously, in the Irish Times, uh, both on the print edition but also on the website. And normally we look for submissions uh, by middle of December, early December, middle of December. The team then, I believe there are about 160 submissions this year and we whittled it down to a final. 18 and then today to, to the ultimate winners. So uh, December usually is the time that the submissions are made and I think it's probably advertised from as early as October and then again in November with a submission date by, by mid-December. Dr Chris Horn, thanks for taking the time to speak to Inside Business. Sinead O'Shea, you spoke to several uh, shortlisted companies. Yes, I began by speaking to Vidyad who represented a product which initially left me a little puzzled. They offer their users the chance to make free online videos but as they CTO Eamon Kennedy explained to me it's actually a really big idea. If you look at statistically uh, by 2017 90% of all content on the internet will be video based. So there's a huge gap in the market there basically because people need to monetize that and the only way to monetize that is through video advertising but before Vidyad um, there's huge barriers to entry and that is very expensive and very time-consuming to actually make a video advertisement. So that's where I saw a huge gap in the market there and that, that I wanted to jump in and get involved. Seeing as there's such potential there, I wondered if there was much competition in that market. Eamon seemed confident. We are the first 
cloud-based platform that is fully integrated um, with the largest stock library of images and videos in the world. There are other online video editors, but a lot of those are user-generated content focused, whereas what we do is we let you make professional-looking videos through using your own, your own kind of images and also combining these with, with stock that's been shot by professionals. So we have partnership deals uh, with four of the largest stock providers in the world. Um, so they're Getty, Fatalia, Clip Dealer, Wavebrick Media. So how do you make money? The basic premise is, and the, the really good selling point, is that anyone can create a video ad for free, for completely free. You log on, okay. you create a video ad for free. Um, once you once you want to use it then, so you can share that video ad with your colleagues, with, you know, send it around, ask people what they think. Once you want to actually use it, that's when you, you purchase it. That's when, when we get the money in, basically. And how do you mean use it? So if you want to, so, so the preview that, the video that's created for free will involve, well, has watermarks of, of our own company on it. You know, so it's not going to be production ready and it's slightly smaller. Now you're still able to see everything that's in that video sure. ad. So Getty has Getty. Exactly, exactly. So you're still able to actually, you know, you can completely edit it, re-edit it, all those things for free, but and you know, share it around, make sure that everyone's happy with it. But when you are happy with it, then, and you purchase it, it actually the video ad gets produced in higher resolution and at a larger size, so it's ready to, to share. And do you have standard pricing, or does it? Yeah, I mean, we have we have standard package pricing. I mean, our our base entry level is a ten second. Uh, video advertisement that's $99 and that includes um, one stock video clip. Now you can also add, add in your own uh, images for free so you can make a combination of, of uh, you know, kind of personalise it more to your business using your own uh, either you know, stock footage or your own produced images. The idea originally was CEO Gronia Barnes. She is now based in San Francisco. She had been involved in traditional video production and saw the gap in the market, the huge overheads that were being incurred. Video ad production costs are kept very low. They got initial backing from Angel Investment and are now making revenue as well. For February, they had 35,000 hits to the site. Of these, 54% made a video and 2% purchased. But, as Eamon stressed, they soft launched in September and haven't spent anything on advertising yet. Another finalist within the creative industry category was KomodoMath.com. Jared McBreen, its co-founder, explained more to me. Komodo is a learning system for teaching kids age 5 to 11 mathematics at home. And it's in the market. We've been in the market for 12 months and we're seeing some really exciting signs that it's popular with uh, subscribers. I asked Jared, a former maths teacher, what the inspiration for the idea was. But really, the real inspiration for Komodo is... Uh, in being a parent and seeing how home learning works uh, because many products are in fact focused on the school market and the same product is offered to parents at home. What we've done is we've actually focused on the design and the needs of the home itself. So for example for home learning to work with young children we believe that the parent has to be at the heart of it so we've got a key role designed for parents. Um, also Komodo is not a game um, Games keep kids at screens for a long time, for a long time, and that's something that uh, parents are concerned about. I wondered, though, why the need for home learning? What's wrong with school? I think one of the key differences, really, between um, school and home is that in the classroom, you know, there are typically thirty children, and the amount of one-to-one time that children actually get is is minimal. Um, now, a lot of great teaching happens in schools and there's been a real revolution in terms of using e-learning technology. 
We're not trying to change any of that. In fact, Komodo is very much about complementing what happens in the classroom. Um, and the focus is very much on uh, mastering uh, essential skills, such as mental arithmetic, um, skills which really are a foundation for future success in mathematics. It's really, Komodo is a supplementary product. It's not intended to replace what happens in school. The Komodo package is available for €12 Euros a month or €95 Euros a year. The IT and communications section also had some interesting finalists. The most eye-catching there, I thought, was Jisaki, the invention of Dubliner, Alan Carney. It's a new style of mirror that will uh, change any existing mirror in a retail store into something that com can communicate back to the consumer within that store. What does that mean in English? <laughs> what that means in English is, is that if you walk to the, if you're, you, if you're in any retail store, and uh, if I use it in a male context, in a, a very simple context, uh, because the male is always simple, um, we, I go to buy a suit in a, in a store. Well, I'd always go to a mirror to see what I look like in that suit. Well, as I go to that mirror, the mirror will be able to turn around and, and, and go into the database and find all the details that I need to know about that f physical suit. Sizes, what other colours are available, um, or any other fabric details that the retailer wants me to have. But then on the far side of the mirror, it can turn around at a very simple level and say, here are all the shirts, here are the ties that actually go with that suit. So if you, it, 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 remember, the retailer wants you to try and buy as many things as you can in that store, but the, the consumer themselves wants it very easy to go and find things. So in a male context, I still haven't done anything. I've only walked to the, to the, to the uh, physical mirror, and now all of a sudden it's communicating back with me, and it's able to give me recommendations. And even if I don't like those recommendations, I can then go and uh, touch and, fi and, and start figuring out, well, I'd, if I don't like that suit or don't like that shirt, what else is available? So it, then it becomes an interactive piece. Alan came up with the idea a couple of years ago. He had a background in wireless technology and his work was in designing energy-efficient buildings. But when the construction industry slowed down, he decided to reapply himself. So far, response to his product has been strong. He launched in the US in July with several major US retailers now on board. Alan, who fully funded the product himself, has big plans for both this mirror and other products, including a Desaki mirror for the home, which would represent an updating of the clueless model. Busy times then, so far for Alan. Oh, I only work seven days a week, uh, you know, <laughs> 10, 20 hours a day. <laughs> um, but no, I, I've opened up an office in New York, so I spend, you know, one week in New York, one week back in Europe. You know, we've projects now gone in, in Australia, uh, looking at projects now in South America. So I'm constantly in airports. So it's, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a busy time. Thanks, Sinead. Well, it's an exciting time for the commercial property market at the moment. After years of nothing very much happening, suddenly every week there are mega deals going down. Uh, in the second half of this week's Inside Business podcast, we're joined by two experts on the property market. Uh, Jonathan Hillier, Managing Director of HWBC, and Marie Hunt, Head of Research, CBRE Ireland. Marie, I'll start with you. Can, you. can you tell me a little bit about like what's it been like for CBRE over the last 12 months? I think it's fair to say last year could be described as a year of two halves. The first half of the year was preparing a lot of assets for sale and really deleveraging, starting to pick up pace big time from people like NAMA and the various financial institutions. And the second half of the year was just a phenomenal amount of transactional activity, both in terms of the occupier market and indeed the investment sector. And I suppose what was quite unusual about the year was that we were still 
launching properties for sale in November and December, which normally in any given year wouldn't happen. Your year would be winding up and you'd come into January, February with a blank slate almost. So I suppose what's been unusual is that we've come into January, February this year with a very significant carryover of transactional activity across the board almost in every sector. So it started off extremely busy following a very, very busy second half of last year. And what's it been like for you, Jonathan, at HWBC? I mean, you, you've had a busy week already, uh, but just take us back a little bit further. Uh, and what's it been like over the last 12 months and then bring us up to, to date? Well, I mean, I can back up everything sort of Marie said in terms of this is a, it's, it's constant. There's no slowdown at the moment, whether or not it's, it's December. This is a very busy January, as you mentioned, the Liffey Valley deal, which, is, which was a great start to the year. But um, HWBC have tended to act on, a little bit different to a CBR, have tended to act on the, on the buy side of investment. So we had quite a busy first six months. And then, as Marie sort of indicates, that's where, and then on the back of, you know, that continuing good news throughout 2012 and 2000, beginning of 2013, the banks, I think, that then saw that this momentum was going to continue. And then a lot of more sales, NAMA started coming to the market. So, uh, and since then, as, as Marie's saying, is that the number of sales coming to the market through the banks who, are, who tend to be the drivers of this and need to see transparency in that market is increased. And we see, certainly in terms of product coming to the market, we see that trend continuing this year, uh, whether it's through asset sales or whether it's through the loan sales, which have been in the newspaper recently. And Marie, have you seen much difference in terms of the buyers who are coming into the market, that they've got different expectations to what they would have had back in 2010 or 2011 when there was very few transactions? Well, what I would say is is back in the height of the market in 2006 and six and seven, it was almost all domestic players in the market and they were almost all debt funded. So it was a completely different market to today where at least 50%, if not more, of the investment activity is coming from overseas. And quite a lot of these funds, be they buying loans or assets, have um, a very high level of due diligence they want to do on the market because one, they've never bought anything in Ireland before so they need to get comfortable with the economic story also the property dynamics so there's a huge amount more due diligence involved in deals so it's taking quite a lot of time to get things across the line um, but I think a comforting fact is that quite a lot of the investment now has a high level of equity involved in it not as much debt as would have been the case traditionally and that's something we're seeing across Europe not just in Ireland. And Jonathan, on the buy side, I mean, have you seen mm. the, the, the people coming, are they more more satisfied to take lower returns than they would have been maybe two years ago? Well, that's coming. That was, that's a good point. And, you know, with the initial phase uh, when investors like Lone Star were coming in and looking at returns of 10, 15% plus, they, you know, the, just the sort of cost of their capital in in response to the way the market has gone in the last 12 months has also come down so it's not as if you've seen Lone Star or, or Apollo or, or come you know come out of the country because they can't find value all they've simply found is a different cost of capital and now they're even targeting I mean with the with the acquisition of St Stephen's Green recently even large office buildings so that's quite a comfort because that was a little worry uh, 12 to 18 months ago when you know they were looking for these high returns there wasn't the deliverability there they've stayed in with Ireland and they've lowered their expectations on return. That that has, to a certain extent, a lot to do with opportunities elsewhere. 
Um, you know, we look at we tend to look at, at Ireland in isolation, but of course, whether it's Credit Suisse on the institutional side or whether it's Lone Star, the, you know, these have seven, eight billion euro European funds, so they are looking at the European market as a as as a whole. Uh, it just so happens at this stage, in terms of deliverability, in terms of deleveraging in Ireland, the opportunities are there, um, and and that's quite encouraging because they and whether it's Lone Star or Kennedy Wilson, they're now setting up their own platforms here, which is good for the Irish market going forward because it means they're here to stay. You know, and I think they will, whether it's developing sites, you know, they're, they're, here, for the, they're here for the short to medium term. And Murray, when, when, when good assets go up for sale, I mean, we're seeing a lot of competition, you know, there's seven, eight, nine, ten parties, maybe more uh, expressing an interest. I mean, how do you see the next year playing out? Will there be enough supply coming onto the market to satisfy their needs and will it be of high enough quality? I think there's, there's quite a lot of supply coming out from all the various financial institutions, but I suppose the challenge has been over the last few years, everybody was very conservative and they were all focusing on the same type of product, very dry, income-producing assets. Um, whereas now I think people are getting a little bit more comfortable and they're willing to look outside of the Dublin market to some extent and maybe move up the risk curve. So as opposed to just getting a fully let prime CBD office building, they might look at something that's a little bit on the outskirts location-wise or something that has a bit of letting risk because in order to generate the sort of high returns they're looking for, they're not going to be able to get that from Prime. So I would suspect that the market will thin out a little bit and that some of the investors will look a little bit further afield. And I think that's particularly true of people like the Irish REITs who are now in the market. They are not going to be able to generate the double-digit returns they're promising investors if they stick to office and retail investments throwing off 5 and 6% yields. It has to be something with a little bit more asset management or development potential. And Jonathan, at the start of the week, HWBC had a report out uh, making their predictions for 2014. Can you take us through what were the key points there? Well, I, I think in terms of the in terms of the office market, office market last year, the, the take up was up. I think 179,000 square meters, which was up on the year before. Uh, you know, there was 15% rental growth last year. Uh, most of that was in the grey day, uh, grey days, not surprisingly in the grey day side of things. But increasingly, with the lack of stock being built, which is a problem and well publicised uh, problem in, in Dublin, that you're now seeing a lot of um, refurbishments uh, taking part. Which will to serve the take up. We I, and I think we expect take up to increase again. If you look over the last, if you look over the, since two thousand and four, you know when in when the hundred ninety five thousand square meters we're still below that level. And as things improve, I think you know the, the lack of product is going to be an issue. Um, but the real going back to the sort of the, the investment performance uh, in the market. I mean, we've just seen a. A phenomenal increase, really, in in the rental growth and expected rental growth. Where that's going to go is still a little bit uncertain, but we're certainly getting to the level now where speculative development, I think, is going to start. But of course, if you're going into planning in your bill costs, that's still two years away. So you know, the take up is, is the existing stock is going to have to soak that up. And Marie, I know you've looked out even further. You've you know you've looked out towards 2020, where you think think they're going to go. Uh, like, where do you think rents in in central Dublin will be uh, out in you know five or six years time? 
So I'd go right back again to the, the peak of the market in 2007. Um, prime CBD offices were probably trading off 65 euro per square foot. They fell by a full 55% down to 27.50 and they stayed at that sort of level for most of last year and it was only towards the latter end of the year they started to creep up and ended the year at about 35 euro a square foot, which is where they're at today, but quickly heading towards 40. So we feel 40 will be breached in 2014 and we've you know put our numbers in right up to 20. 20 and we're back up at around 58, 60 euros square foot by the end of the decade. So we're still less than what it was at the peak. Um, but I suppose, again, urging a bit of caution because a lot of the companies that are coming into Dublin are technology type companies and they're price sensitive to some extent. So once you see rents heading over 40, 45 euro per square foot, the danger is that some of those companies might look elsewhere or they will look certainly at the outskirts of the city where they'll get cheaper rental costs. And would that be a fear you, you'd share, Jonathan, in terms of, you know, we've heard the IDA say that they're concerned that there mightn't be enough office space in two or three years' time? Uh, like, are you finding it hard when there's, or, or hearing that it's hard for, for blue chip tenants to find the right building, uh, you know, in, in Ireland? Well, yeah, I mean, I think if you're looking over, I think, 70, 80,000 square foot, there's only one, one or two existing buildings that can satisfy that demand. So I'd, so I'd agree with that. I think when the IDA talk about a scarcity of office accommodation, I think it's important to point out it's for a particular size of building in mm. the Dublin 2-4 market. Because if you look at what's vacant or available, there's plenty of stock. It's just it's in the wrong place, it's the wrong quality. Or if there's grade A stock available, it tends to be a floor in lots of buildings you know, added together. Whereas if you're the next Google or Facebook arriving in town looking for 50, 60, 70,000 square foot in a single building in 2-4, you will not be able to find that. So that's what the IDA are talking about when they're talking about a scarcity of office accommodation. It's of a particular size in the locations where today's occupiers want to be. I think what you'll see, uh, and it's happening now with a number of the professional advisors as well, is that, you know, whether it's the KPMGs or the or the Coxes who are looking into this, there are there is local, uh, there will be local um, professional advisors looking to move. So uh, whilst that, we've been very fortunate that, you know, the, the, the Googles have, have, have driven that demand I mean, I think that local demand will will be will be regenerated over the next twelve to twenty four months, which will drive that market as well. Um, but there's no doubt at the moment that you know even on that five to ten thousand square feet, which is tends to be the sort of the local more you know the, the smaller firms, that's very difficult to find at the moment, and it's very difficult to see. Okay, we've been successful at buildings on Mount Street refurbishing these these refurbishing these properties to try and satisfy that demand. But there's no doubt; I think there'll be even a shortage on that lower end of the scale. On the on the on the pre on the big hundred and fifty thousand square foot when the rents when the rents hit the forty euros a square foot, which tends to be the sort of line where development becomes possible. There's land there to do it, and I'm sure Nama or the IDA will. Will you know? Will develop and will provide that on the large prefunds. Whether or not they've got the uh, whether or not the, they've got the appetite to build speculatively is is another thing. But I think the challenge in the meantime is even if you were going on site in the morning, it's still as you said two to three year build out program. So the problem is only going to get worse before it gets better because there's no new stock readily available. And I know Dublin City Council are talking about, you know, bringing in, you know, new planning rules. And, and, uh, and do, you, do you think that that's going to make much of a difference, Marie, in terms of encouraging cranes to go back up again and to get some people off the dole queues and uh, back working in construction? 
Well, I think the key there is obviously that's the strategic development zone for Dublin Docklands. The, there's there's land available in that location and there's certainly demand there because o- occupiers want to be in, in that part of town. But until such time as the SDZ is adopted, which at the very earliest is going to be mid-year this year, nobody can go on site. So obviously NAMA would have a lot of land holdings in that area, as have a lot of other developers, but their hands are tied until such time as the SDZ is in place and until such time as there's clarity in terms of what the development levies are going to be down there because right now they can't run the numbers until they get that certainty and you would need to be achieving rents in and around 40 euros square foot to make the development stack up but I think certainly it's it's a location where occupiers want to be so it's a logical place to, to build office and Jonathan, looking more nationwide, you know, uh, you, we've, we've, we've spoken about, you know, the recovery in Dublin 2 and 4, but mm-hmm. uh, what about the rest of the country? I mean, do you think this is going to be uh, a rising tide that will lift all boats? Well, I, I, I think there's, I think inevitably, some of the, the Cork, the, the Galway, these the, the cities, where there will be an element of that, and I think we can be, I think it can be, Pretty positive on that, uh, on the on, on the office side of things. You know, the, the, those particular markets are driven by their by, by uh, different corporate occupiers. Um, we acquired a building there in uh, in Cork recently, let to EMC, who have just expanded into the building. So I think that's that those two those two cities in particular. I think that you will see that recovery happening. Um, coming away from offices a, a little bit, you know, even on the retail side of things, the rest of whether or not the rest of the cities or even the smaller towns are going to rise up uh, rise up on the tide is is it's going to be a little bit more staggered it's it's I don't think it's going to be as uniform I don't think all towns will rise the same would you broadly agree Marie or what would be CBRE's view I would agree. I think what we're seeing right now is obviously very Dublin-focused. We're seeing the recovery clearly coming through. But I think in time, it will start to filter out to secondary and provincial locations, but it's going to take some time. And it, it probably not going to be this year before the effects began to be felt outside of Dublin. And certainly, while we're seeing rental growth, for example, in, in the Dublin market, I would not expect to see rental growth coming through in any other location but Dublin for, for the foreseeable future anyway. And do you think, Jonathan, we're going to end up like that there's some parts of the country just we're not, just aren't going to recover for many years? Well, it rather depends. That's a, It's kind of a very general question. It rather depends on what you're sort of referring to. There's obviously different, different sectors in the market, whether it's office, retail, residential, whichever sectors. I mean, some markets will stabilise. Um, retail, because we haven't really discussed retail too much, I mean, they're, they're, certainly it's been well publicised that there's been overdevelopment of... Of you know in the retail sector in some of the uh, smaller or say small to medium sized towns, and uh, you know I don't think you could ignore the demographics is that people will go where the jobs are, um, and this is sort of the major cities or the bigger towns. So I think there is a there there is a more structural issue there with some of those towns on the retail side in terms of whether it's converting retail space, whether it's coming up with more innovative ideas as to how to stimulate main streets, etc. Given the overdevelopment, I'm certainly reasonably confident is where there is demand that that market will that mar- those markets will pick up. Yeah, and Marie, you know there, there's big talk at the moment that you know some of the UK banks are going to sell off big big loan books. Uh, do you think that's going to be good for the Irish market and that it might finally get some of these sites going or do you, would you be concerned that maybe whoever purchases uh, some of these properties wh- whether they're retail or development that they might just sit on them for a number of years I think that one of the threats of the market at the minute is just that the speed at which 
product is being brought to the market, regardless of who's bringing it, but be it NAMA. And I think they have been very cautious about not flooding the market with stock. They're very conscious of their role in the market as one of the biggest holders of property. Um, so we need to make sure that the deleveraging continues at a fairly controlled basis, because the worst thing that could happen at this particular point in the cycle is that you know, a particular financial institution floods the market with a whole load of stock all at once. It's not good for the market. It's much better that it's drip fed out over time. Now, having said that, I suppose something we have seen quite recently is that, you know, if you look at NAMA's policy, um, when they initially started selling Irish assets, it tended to be one asset at a time. And because of the strength of demand that's there at the minute, they're pooling portfolios together at the minute, and that's going quite well for them. Um, but um, I would be nervous if I saw a financial institution deciding to deleverage everything over a one or two year period, because that would be an awful lot of product for the market to absorb. I think there's, there, I think yeah. there's a little bit of a catch-22 here, uh, just in terms of the level of uh, you know money chasing, well, let's say European but, and Irish real estate assets. Um, you know whether it's six billion, eight billion, ten, whichever whichever sort of figures are being banded around. There is an opportunity here, uh, and this is the. I think the Business Post article on Sunday was sort of referring to, and that's what I was trying to get to the bottom of, is whether or not, you know, NAMA should go now or whether it should go later and where the prices are going to... I think probably what we've seen over the last 12 months is the the, the property prices, uh, you know, in, in, in Dublin and in Cork and Agorway, for example, and, and have found their level. And it's all a matter of pricing, isn't it really? It's a matter of, you know, if you're putting a big loan sale on the market and, you know, you have a large site, um, you know, in the centre of Limerick or in large site in the centre of... And, and there's a number of different ways you can... The, the price, the market will dictate the price of that uh, of that asset. If you're selling a, a piece of land that has no chance... Of, you know, it's... It, the, the pricing will dictate. So I'm not overly concerned that with all these loan sales coming on, that it's going to flood the market. Because I think and, and it, wh- whoever buys these loan sales, it's coming out of the banks. They are buying them and there'll either be a secondary sort of market where they'll be subsold or, or sold down to people who actually will do those developments or, you know, there'll be assumptions made by whoever are buying these that maybe it's going to take 12 months, it's going to take 24 months to develop. You know, Hence so. they're doing all the due diligence because they're trying to preempt what the market is going to be in terms of who they're going to sell on next. So I think that's why the international investors are so keen on slicing and dicing the data in so many different ways to try to figure out, you know, before they make a decision like that, because ultimately they're thinking of the exit at the end of the day. There is a certain, yeah. there is a certain element, isn't there, is that they have this money to spend. They might be looking at Spain, they might be looking at the UK, they might be looking at Germany. And, you know, the fundamentals of that Irish market, that you know, within the period of 12 to 18 months, we now have a market. There is transparency there. There is comfort there. You know, I'm not saying that some prices won't go down, but nevertheless, there we now have a market here, which some of the in some of the other European countries you can't, and its deliverability is very difficult. That's an amazing comfort to these guys, you know, and, and bar. Uh, and bar sort of uh, Armageddon, which I don't think any of us expect is going to happen here. I, you know, I think that's an amazing comfort. So I, 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 th- I don't think that anyone's going to think about flooding the market because I think it's more sophisticated than that. And, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, I think all of the 
what I said. Just one final question for you, Marie. Um, you, we haven't touched upon the real estate investment trust, which is really taking off. Can you can you just tell me uh, just a little bit about what is a REIT uh, and what impact are the two REITs that we currently have, Green and Hibernia? What are they having? What impact are they having on the Irish market? First off, we didn't have REIT legislation until last year, so we couldn't have set one up if we wanted. And I suppose for want of a better word, it's a fund. So if you decide to buy, you don't want to buy a property yourself, you can buy essentially a share in the property market, which you can trade freely. So it's enabling lots of investors who maybe traditionally their only route into invest in Ireland Inc. was to buy Bank of Ireland shares, for example. They can now buy into one of the Irish REITs and get exposure to the real estate recovery and the economic recovery. And if they decide to sell on the morning, they can trade those shares quite freely. So we've two REITs established, the Green REIT and the Hibernia REIT. Um, Green are almost fully invested already. They went on their roadshow last summer and attracted huge investment. And Hibernia have just done their first deal in the Irish market. Um, they've brought extra competition to the market, obviously, because they're bidding alongside the Lone Stars and Apollos and, and Carvals and all the various bidders. Um but I suppose it's brought a new layer of investors that traditionally wouldn't have invested in Irish real estate because there was no entry route for them other than through banking shares. And just one last question for you, Jonathan. Uh, you know, Marie spoke there about how the Irish market used to be dominated by domestic players. Are we going to see any of these guys around again? Uh, you know, are we going to see some of the people that you know, we're big in 06, 07, getting back into the market and doing deals. In terms of Irish investors? In, ter- in terms in of things. Irish builders or developers? Well, that's a very difficult. There's not too many, you know, the big the big Irish developers, you know, left. There are there are a few of them left. I, I, th- I think I probably look at it a little differently. That If you have a variety of investors, whether they be Irish investors, whether they be inst- foreign institutions, whether they be North American private equity, that's good for this market. You, you, know, you have a variety of different interests. What I personally, I wouldn't want to see go back is the sort of 2004, 5, 6, 7, where you just have Irish. It, it, Dublin is... In my opinion, and talking to and talking to my clients, you know, Dublin is very much seen as part of the European platform now, which which wasn't really the case. I mean, certainly, uh, you know, the the uh, the activity and the involvement of these funds in the past has been UK involvement in the Irish market. But you know, f- from my perspective, I'd want to try and keep that sort of patchwork of different types of investors into this market because they all have different timelines, and that's and that keeps the market. You know, and and that and, and I think that's good for the market. Jonathan Hillier, managing director of HWBC, and Marie Hunt, head of research CBRE Ireland. Thanks for coming on Inside Business. And that's it for this week's Inside Business podcast. It was presented by myself, Tom Lyons, produced by Sinead O'Shea, and the sound engineer was Robo Sullivan. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, 
Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.